Luke chapter 19. We're going to be at verse 41 where it says, And when he was come near, he beheld the city, and he wept over it. Begins in verse 28 where it says, When he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he was come nigh unto Bethphage in Bethany, at the mount that is called Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which, at your entering, you shall find a colt tied. Wonderfully, please underline, whereon yet never a man sat. Loose him, bring him hither. And if any man ask you, Why do you loose him? This you shall say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto him, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come nigh... He beheld the city, and he wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known even at least in this thy day the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. So we have this picture that we call, of course, the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem, we will, when we get to Revelation 19, look at the true triumphal entry. Um, here he is coming on what we call Palm Sunday, because John tells in chapter 12 they threw palms in the way. This is the 10th of Nizon. 
it is significant because that day of the month was the day that the lambs were presented in the temple to be examined by the priest to make sure they were without spot and blemish and could be offered on the Passover as a sacrifice. And our dear Lord comes on that day, the Lamb of God, to present himself to be examined, as it were, of the priests. Interesting, he is both the offerer and the offering. He is both priest and sacrifice. He is both victor and victim as he comes. And it says that as he comes, he is weeping. He sends his disciples and he says, go on over into the village and you'll find there a cult tied. The other gospels tell us that it is the foal, the young donkey ass that had never been ridden and his mother and as we look at these animals we know this young colt had an interesting place because it tells us in Exodus 14 and every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb and if thou will uh, if thou will not redeem it then thou shalt break his neck and all the firstborn among man and children shalt thou redeem Again, in Exodus 34, it tells us, But the firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb, and if thou redeem it not, thou shalt break his neck, the firstborn of thy sons and daughters. So the rule with this young burrow, with his mother, is, number one, that he had to be redeemed. And certainly it's a picture. He's going to rebuke the Pharisees who are saying to Jesus, make them stop crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Lord's going to say, I can do that, but if they hold their peace, the very rocks themselves will cry out, saying that your hearts are harder than the very rocks themselves that would not hesitate to give me praise. Along with the rocks, there's this donkey, this barrow, who had to be redeemed, number one. He had to be untied and set free. And then he had to come under Jesus and lift him up. And certainly it's a picture of our lives. We first must be redeemed. We have to be loosened, untied from all that bound us. And you and I, in like manner, have to come under Jesus, his lordship, and lift him up. And what a picture this burrow is as the Lord draws him into the scene. One on whom never a man had been seated. And this animal doesn't buck, this animal yields, this animal carries, this animal fulfills its role. They were sent their way. The owner said, what are you doing? They say, the Lord has need of him. And as he comes, they cast their garments on the cult and they set Jesus thereon. 
And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way, on the animal in the way. And when he was come nigh, now even to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice, notice, for all the mighty works they had seen. And of course, his last and incredible work right before this was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And it says many of the people would come just to see Lazarus. What's a dead guy look like this? Back up again. He stunketh and he's okay now. Look at him, you know. And, the, and, and this was famous in the crowds and it was the epitome, as it were, of his mighty works in a sense. Saying, blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. All four gospels tell us that. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto them, Master, rebuke your disciples, because they're claiming, of course, that he is Messiah and Lord. And he answered, he said unto them, I tell you the truth. If they should hold their peace, the very stones themselves would immediately cry out because the word of God was being fulfilled Zechariah centuries before it said rejoice greatly O daughter of Zion shout O daughter of Jerusalem behold thy king cometh unto thee he is just and having salvation lowly riding upon an ass and upon the colt the foal of an ass. We are told in the Psalms, it says, The stone which the builders refused is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Palm Sunday, they're crying from the Psalms, Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed thee out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, interesting, listen, which giveth us light. Here's the light. Bind the sacrifice with cords even to the horns of the altar. Certainly the tenth of Nizon, the lamb, is being Presented And Jesus said, if, if the disciples don't cry out, the word of God is literally becoming reality in this scene. And if they don't cry out, the very stones themselves will cry out. Been there many times, been down this Palm Sunday road 28, 29 times over the years. Always great when you see a piece of bedrock there to hack some of it off and bring it home and makes a great present telling people this is one of this would this stone would have cried out if the disciples had shut up you know and let them put it somewhere in their home and let it cry out to them as they see it there and ask them if they're allowing the king to ride into their lives if they would hold their peace the very rocks he said here would cry out, and then it tells us this. And when he was he has come near, he beheld the city 
and he wept over it. He beheld the ideas he gazed upon, he thought about, he took it into consideration, not as you and I might, but with the genius of who he was, with an omnipotence, an omnipresence, and an omniscience, all-knowing. He brings the city into view you know, his memory. We, we have no idea what we talk about when we say memory. All I know when I talk about memory is mine is starting to leak. I know that. Walk to the living room to ask my wife a question, question, look at her and don't remember what it was and turn around. In fact, if she interrupts me, I say, you can do that. But there's a good chance what I was going to say is going to be gone by the time you're done. Right? His memory was not at all like that. It was perfect, as was his perception of the present, as was his knowledge of the future. He knew the past and the future completely and alike. As he comes here, he beholds the city, different than anyone has ever beheld it before. And as he does, it tells us that he wept over it. We're told three times in the scripture that Jesus wept. The first time is in John chapter 11, where he comes to the tomb of Lazarus. It says, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, Mary and Martha, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in his spirit, and he was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. And it says, Jesus wept. The second time he weeps is here in our present passage on Palm Sunday as he's riding into Jerusalem. And the last time he weeps is described in Hebrews chapter 5. It says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears in Gethsemane, unto him that was able to save him from out of death and was heard in that he feared. Very interesting as we look at this scene. Here, as he weeps, it's a different word from the other two places. Here it is, he is convulsing, it is out loud, it, it is heaving. He is not weeping for himself, as he does in Gethsemane, as it were, in fear. He is not weeping for his own purpose. He is weeping over Jerusalem. He is weeping over the, the the scenes that will come ahead. He is weeping over the lives of lost sinners, as I believe he does today. In John, though, chapter 11, he weeps there, and it's a different word. It mean, the idea is the tears were running down his face. He looked at what's going on, and that was consistent with the scene. It was in harmony with what was going on because the others around him were also weeping. 
And he had stepped into our flesh, and he felt what we feel. He knows what we feel at the funeral of a loved one. We're there, you know, and, and he stood there with them. He felt what they felt. He entered into it, and the tears ran down his face as he was there at the tomb of Lazarus. This scene is completely inconsistent. Everyone else is rejoicing. Everyone else is praising and it uses the hardest word for crying here. He's convulsing. He's on this burrow, this donkey, and he's heaving. He's crying. It's a word that's used for the weeping for the dead. And it wasn't, wasn't for anything of himself. It was for as he beheld the city. In Hebrews, as he weeps there, it's another word. It's different. And the idea is he cried out to God with tears. He was pleading, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Because it was the cup of God's wrath poured out without admixture. He was about to take on himself the sin of the world. It says, God laid on him the iniquity of us all. The pure and holy one becomes murderer, uh, becomes abuser, becomes pedophile, becomes, you know, the tyrant, becomes the sin of the world will come upon him there. And then God will fire down all of his holy wrath on his own dear son. And he's crying there, crying out to God. There are tears. It says, if there's any way, Father, let this cup pass. But is this the central picture of his crying? Griffith Thomas says, let us sit at Christ's feet until we learn the secret of his tears, beholding the sorrow of the city and of the countryside that we may weep over them as well. You can imagine as he beholds the city and he thinks of the city of David. He thinks of the city where Melchizedek came from. He thinks of the city where Solomon's temple stood. He thinks of the city where the prophets spoke. Jeremiah chapter 9, 1 speaks of himself weeping over the city of Jerusalem, the heart of an eternal God leaking through into the heart of Jeremiah, and he weeps over Jerusalem. You think Jesus is looking at squandered privilege. And I think he can do that in, in an individual's life as well. I think, I think if we squander opportunities, we squander privileges that have been brought upon us, our hearts become hard, we become prodigals, we become backslidden, we turn away. He weeps over that as well. He doesn't exclude us. He doesn't cut us off. But he's not angry. He's heartbroken. You know, this is a picture of severe and incredible mercy and at the same time of complete justice and truth. In our world, they're incompatible. But in the picture here before us, it is both the heart of God. When God weeps, both of those things are brought before us. He sees the past. He sees what has happened. And he's weeping, inconsistent, around him. <laughs> blind Bartimaeus. And the blind, he's healed, gazing upon him. Lepers who he has cleansed, he cleansed, now casting their garments, which should have been defiled, on the donkey and on the road as he rides. The crippled and the lame, dancing 
with palm branches in their hands, praising their king and their Lord. Mary Magdalene and others that have been delivered from demonic oppression, singing his praise, delivered and set free. Think of those that are around the scene as we look at this incredible scene. Widows and orphans now without sackcloth. I'm sure Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea are there. They've stepped away from the antagonism of the empty religious system at this point in time. And he doesn't refuse that. He loved them. He knew them. He healed them. He set them free. When we sing praise here in the sanctuary, he receives that. And he inhabits the praises of his people. The present circumstance in that regard is incredible. Just incredible. Imagine it. Lazarus is there, not dead, alive. The dumb who he's healed, singing out loud. You just imagine the scene. But he also saw clearly the future. He beheld Jerusalem, not just its past, not just its present, but he saw Jerusalem 40 years in the future. Absolutely clear. One stone will not be left upon another that won't be cast down. They'll come and dig a trench around you. They're going to set siege against the city. You, Jerusalem, your children will be slain in the streets. And he weeps and he sobs. He's heartbroken over that as he looks. He had cried, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered thee under myself? As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you would not. He doesn't say you could not. He said you would not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't know if there's anyone here today who doesn't know Christ. You know religion. You're in church because it's Palm Sunday. You're not happy because you didn't get a palm on the way in. But he would gather you under his wings today. The problem in this day was you would not, not you could not. You can come to the Savior today. He loves you. He weeps over your, your ruined life. He sees your future. Look, as he looks at the future, he not only sees 70 A.D., if he can see that clearly, no doubt he sees the final, eternal retribution that will come on mankind. He speaks of it in Matthew 24. He sees the Jews driven out of Jerusalem. He sees the diaspora. He sees Jewish families and children persecuted. 
He sees them in Poland. He sees them under Adolf Hitler. He sees them in the ovens of Auschwitz and Dachau and Buchenwald. And he weeps. Millions gone. He sees them gathered back in their land, still so few having a true knowledge of who he is. He sees Zechariah, who prophesied his first coming, saying two out of three of the Jews in Israel today will be slaughtered. He sees the Antichrist. He sees those today perfectly clear, like he sees 40 years in the future. He, he beholds the city and everything around it today. It's the stumbling block of the nations of the world. It's the cup of trembling. And he sees down to this final retribution, those that will turn away, those that will be in church today around the world that don't know him, that haven't come to him, that have embraced religion, but not their savior. And as he weeps, he says, if you had only known the things that belong to this thy day. He doesn't say this thy days. It was this thy day. The day spoken of by Daniel the prophet. To the day. 173,880 days from when the prophecy began which was spoken of to the very day that Christ rides into Jerusalem. And I think in my life, in your life, as someone who loves him, and he'll take me aside like he did Peter sometime and say, do you love me? I think of days when he puts his finger on something in my life that needs to change. And he says this, thy day, not days, today, this thy day. I think of those that are turning away from him now. You know, I can look at the world politically I can look what's going on around me, and I, it's, it's agita to me. I can get ulcers. I can get a bad attitude. I don't want to turn on the news some more sometimes. But I look at my king, and he sees what's happening in our schools. He sees how we're perverting our children. How we've destroyed what sexuality really is and we've thrown it in the gutter in the street. He sees how the church has turned away and become lukewarm in so many ways. He sees marriages dissolving. He sees babies being aborted. He sees, you know, creation being mocked in schools. He sees 
and the things that would get me so angry. He weeps over them. And as Griffith Thomas says, let us sit at his feet until we learn to weep over city and countryside that we may weep as him. Pray. The heart of our Savior is broken. He will come with wrath, with justice. There is no compromising of that in his heart. He is merciful beyond measure, beyond our understanding. Even as Christians, how often we turn away or we cringe or we cower. And it's, you know, I can't imagine as a father any of my children cowering in front of me. And I don't love them as much as he loves us. His mercy is beyond measure. His love beyond comprehension. We are growing in grace and the knowledge of who he is, our Lord and Savior, and how precious to us. But there is a world that is turned away, that is mocking, that is being educated by social media instead of the scripture, that think what's happening around them is a reality that they want to marry their lives into, not understanding it is a vapor, it is a dream, it is smoke, and it's going to blow away, and the King Eternal is going to come and set up his kingdom. Our Savior and our Lord will ride into this human scene again with all authority and all power. You and I are here now. He's chosen us. The love of Christ is to be shed abroad from our hearts. The things that bother us the most in the culture around us, the things that would get us angry, the injustices. And and this world is filled with that because of the prince of the power of the air. Lord, teach me to get alone in my prayer closet. Lord, teach me to weep. My neighbors, my city, my country, my family. Help me to behold the way you behold, Lord. Help me to see, not with the natural eye, but with that divine bestowal that enriches us, that changes us forever. Because I'm a crabby old man without him. And I could do something stupid. Billy Graham used to say, Lord, keep me from ruining in 15 minutes what you've taken 40 years to build. And that farm boy from North Carolina understood the truth of it all. I love you guys. You know, it's such a privilege to make this journey together. And I think our Savior's weeping. What is ahead is unimaginable. If we can pull, like Jude says, some out of the fire, if we can get a hold of them, 
if we can bring them into the kingdom. We need to do that. He, he is brokenhearted, but that will change. He will come in justice and in truth. That is as noble a part of his character as his broken heart is in regards to the lost. Triumphal entry. Weeping, convulsing, while all the rest are screaming. They are crying. Interesting, on each eighth day, Sunday, the first day of the week, there would be an antithetical psalm, and it was Psalm 24. And the priest that stood on the wall would cry, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up your everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Then the other group would cry, Who is this King of glory? They would answer, The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Then the cry again, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, be ye lifted, lift, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Then the answer would be cried, Who is this King of glory? Then they would cry, The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory while he's riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, weeping out loud. And they're asking the question, and here he comes. Not seen, not acknowledged by the religious systems of the day. Isn't it a, a privilege and a blessing to be here? You know. We can, we can read that Psalm 24, lift up your heads, O ye gates, be lifted up your everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. That's exciting to me. That really sounds... But I know in this scene he's weeping, and he sees our day as well. He sees the past perfectly, the ruined privileges, the potential loss. He sees the present with those around him who had been healed and, and the blindness, the hardness of the hearts of the Pharisees, harder than the stones that would have cried out. And he sees the future. Thousands of years of persecution, the Jews scattered around the world, unsaved men and women perishing that had heard the gospel and turned away. And he alone measures when mercy's time is exhausted. And we are becoming closer and closer to that point when his mercy, which is new every morning, which is immeasurable, we are coming close to that point when mercy's time will be exhausted. Let's go out and get him. Amen? Amen. Let's share his love with this lost world. Let's talk to our neighbors and our friends and our classmates. Let's go to him and ask him to remove the compromise from our lives. That Christianity, Jesus, wouldn't be a game. It wouldn't be a religion. It would be, it would be our heartbeat. It would be where we sit alone with him, where we weep with him, where we're, there's a reality of his presence in our lives that we live with him and walk with him, that we know him, that we long to see him.
Let's stand. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we look to you today. Lord, we forgive us. We so often misconstrue your character, your patience, your mercy, your love. Lord, we seldom see you weeping over us when we're stubborn or when we're in rebellion, when we've grown cold, when we've erred. Lord, sometimes we sing your love never fails, it never gives up. And we live all week like we don't really believe that. And we know that we love you because you first loved us. Lord, let us see you in our hearts afresh, Lord. Lord, let that part of divinity that perfectly saw its surroundings in, in the natural and in time, let that stir in our own hearts, Lord, as you've given us your spirit and made us joint heirs. And Lord, let us have a desperation. Let me, Lord, for the lost, for those who are in darkness, for those that are antagonistic, Lord, toward you and all that is in us. We look to your supernatural reservoir, Lord. It's not within us, Lord. It's not within us. We believe it is freely given from you, and we pray in your name. Amen.